This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger Heffelfinger. and the Falcon. The bloodbath may be over, but there's at least one capital city with a clash to talk about. With no other GTs or majors to dissect, we throw some darts at the Nova Invitational Bracket. Finally, it's spreadsheets gone wild as I set the Falcon loose in celebration of 40kstats.com's first birthday. Peter, I feel like I just talked to you like two days ago. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing, my buddy? Oh, not too shabby here at Heffelfinger HQ, I must say. Quite the the week last week. It only took us, what, like six days to get that last episode posted up and ready to go? You know, we had everything ready to go for a little while. There was in the can, and it, and no one could listen to its delightful goodness. Um, but yeah, we ran yep. into, apparently, Frontline Gaming has too much content. Who would have thought that uh, a, a site or a network that now has four hyper-competitive podcasts uh, that are uploading at least weekly, if more so, if you're out of war, um, that they would run out of space? Yeah, so that's basically what happened. Frontline Gaming Network was all full up. Too much content. We couldn't cram another morsel in there until uncle reese whipped out the credit card and upped our bandwidth so we are good to go shouldn't be an issue in the future uh you'll be free to listen to all of frontline gaming network's charming hosts uh that would be peter and i our friends at the art of war the brand new edition starring the nick brown magic nanavati and john damaris uh, as they sort of go deep on popular lists with um, sometimes popular players. We've so far had uh, the greatest Warhammer player of all time, one Frankie Jam Papa, uh, talking about GSC. And then this week, Mr. Jim Vessel, ITC number one, coming in with some really inside scoops on his list. I mean, where does this guy find the time? Um, like two days ago, he was in Guadalajara. As far as I understand, he didn't know his name at one point. He was so uh, drunk and high and whatever else, uh, just living the life, raving from event to event, and he still finds time for the little guys. Well, I think it's pretty clear at this point that Jim's either a, a double agent or some form of cartel drug mule. So... Mm, or he's just made of pure energy and he's just a god walking amongst men. Okay, all right. Well, he's pretty cool. Um, at any rate, uh, he's on the show, Art of War, this week. We've, of course, got the old standards, the standbys, Chapter Tactics, starring Pablo Martinez, and new Mexican edition, Scari Ridvan, Ridvan Martinez. Also Martinez. Is it? Is that real? Yeah, they're, it's, it's like they're brothers from different mothers. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's got an English accent. This is like a sitcom. It's it is. And this week they were joined by Jason Horn, and we're going over um, how to properly organize a tournament from a financial perspective. It's a really interesting uh, podcast. I really enjoyed this one. That's right. And of course, Chapter Tactic has their Patreon. If you join there, uh, Kitty Pab will paint up a model for you. 
and raffle it off. Uh, probably not. I think he's actually going to have the Frontline Gaming Painting Center or whatever it's called uh, do that up. Uh, but yeah, there's a there's a uh, there's a there's a great reward this month as there is every month for being a Patreon. Also, you get to be part of our group chat. Not group chat. I guess we're on. Not anymore. Uh, now it's a Discord. Our, also, our Facebook group. Yes. Um, you can ask random questions of Val and myself, Sean, Petey Pub, now Scary, um, and we'll probably answer them unless we don't like you. That's very true. And then finally, of course, completing the lineup, uh, the the uh, the perhaps one of the longest running, certainly has maybe the most amount of episodes of any 40k podcast out there. Signals from the front line, starring Reese Robbins and Jason. The salty banana. The salty banana. Yes. Yeah. So it's pretty good. It's a pretty amazing lineup. Shocker that we were too full to add any stat center until early this week. So I hope you enjoyed that show. And here's a double dose coming your way. As we mentioned, uh, not a lot of tournament coverage, uh, but we've got lots of fun stuff to talk about in front of us. Uh, but first, Val might be going to Nova. I'm pretty excited by this. I really hope you do. Um, especially because I was there when you bought the centerpiece model to your list. Um, so I, it kind of makes me feel like I, I'm i part of your journey. You know, I not, know. Not I to know. mention I was the one that said your first iterations of the list were garbage and you should talk to somebody else about them. You should talk to somebody. You need help. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair. I mean, it was a Townar supremacy suit uh, named after Benjamin Bonner, known as the Bonar. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I am... Pretty excited to actually run it because it's not a thousand models, and no matter which way it goes, the game will happen probably pretty quick. Um, yeah. However, yeah. you know, life life seems to be rearing its ugly head, so I hate to give a, an amber warning here, folks, but um, I may not be able to make it. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll find out next week if I have a lot of really great on-the-scene content and some really sad stories about how I just got absolutely shrecked with the coolest, largest, dumbest model, perhaps in 40K. I mean, that's a long well, list of, of potential candidates, but the town are. She's mighty big and stupid. Hey, listen, I, I'm I'm rooting for you. I've got you down as a two and four. So Ooh. you See, do you. You took you the you. over. I took the over. Two and four is doable. Wow. You're going to go up against somebody who thought the Space Marine Codex was legal. I'm just hoping for knights. Just, just give me an endless stream of knights. I mean, they're the most popular faction. You have a decent chance at least seeing one. Hey, 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 don't blow it for the, the audience. We're going to get into your stats. Chill out, pal. Step away from the spreadsheet. It's, they're always at hand. Anyway. So next week, uh, we'll be going deep into Nova, whether or not I make it. Um, so that's both the invitational and, of course, the epic bracketed nine-round championship tournament that they run. And we're going to get round to covering EastCon. Uh, because they didn't really get back to us this week, and we didn't try super hard. So uh, we'll cover those rascals next week, probably. Yeah, EastCon was a major that happened in Australia this last weekend, 1,750 points. Uh, the winner of the event did get back to us, but I'm, we're kind of wanting to at least get a, a a word in with the TO. However, that Australian timeline makes it pretty hard to, uh, you know, make the tips touch, as it were. <laughs> as it were. Uh, any weird uh, tournaments happening on the East Coast that you want to plug? No, I don't care about the East Coast anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Later. Or at least not until May. Yeah, not until May. When that nor'easter comes in again. Here we go. Let's hit a bump. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events. 
for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. In West Columbia, born and raised on a tabletop is where I spent most of my days chilling out, max and attacking's all cool and shooting some demons outside of the warp. When the capital clash, it was up to no good. Started up a GT in my neighborhood. Hey Val, hey. What's Val. up? Just stop it. That's uh that's totally fair. That was that was lame and weak. And I know how you are about dad jokes, and there's nothing more dadly than Will Smith. So the Capital City Clash probably thought the name was clever before Stat Center existed and had started talking nonstop about Capital City Bloodbath for nearly three months. However, it was a good effort, bringing 32 of South Carolina's most available 40K players that weekend to come and battle it out over the tried-and-true ITC mission pack. Let's fire it over to the TO to get a little bit of background on the event. The Capital City Clash was a 40K ITC tournament here in Columbia, South Carolina. It was uh, the first uh, ITC event at that size in Columbia in quite some time. Um, we had 32 players uh, that uh, participated. We had a good showing of both local and out-of-towners, and we're very appreciative of the field that we had and the support that they gave. Um, it was our uh, first time organizing, so we you know, we had some growing pains, but I think we got through it, and overall we've heard only positive reviews of the, of the event. Um, our intention uh, for next year is to um, see it keep growing and um, possibly get major status. Uh, we're planning to have the second one upcoming in February, and um, you know, we'd love to see some familiar faces and uh, have some new, new support come and uh, help us grow. Now, as with all GTs south of the Mason-Dixon line, this one was won by a Tau player. Running a variation on the list popularized by the righteous Molly Ringwald of 40K, Richard 16 Candle Sigler. Old Heffy Poo here is going to queue it up for you right about now. All right, so here comes Brenton Weiss's Tau list. Uh, he's rocking a Tau Empire Battalion detachment with the Cadre Fireblade. And then another Cadre Fireblade and Commander Shadow Sun, three uh, minimum units of Fire Warriors, and then uh, two Richard Siegler Special path, minimum Pathfinder teams with the two Shield drones and a Grav Inhibitor drone. Didn't go the full distance there, missing the uh, missing the Recon drone and the Pulse one. But anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, and then it's paired with a Vanguard detachment, also Tau Empire. Uh, led by a commander in a Cold Star battle suit with the advanced targeting system and three missile pods, three riptides with advanced targeting systems and velocity trackers, and then finally another Outrider detachment, this time with another Cold Star uh, commander. Oh, the fusion guy. Three fusion blasters, a shield generator, and an ethereal on a hover uh, drone. Uh, this guy is Cecilia uh, Sept, so this is a mixed... Uh, detachment, and then three units of tactical drones, all Taucept, and of course, uh, they are nine shield drones apiece. So without further ado, why don't we flip it over to Brenton 
who's going to talk a little bit about uh, the list and his take on it. Hi, so, um, yeah, my list was pretty much the basic triple Riptide, triple Commander Star that you're seeing in a lot of different places. Um, I changed it up a little bit to use Cold Stars instead of Enforcers, and uh, I obviously brought Shadow Sun because, you know, love the model, um, love the lore behind her, and she's still pretty good. Um, you know, I used uh, Pathfinders, Fire Warriors, bunch of shield drones, uh, ethereal, um, some character support. So, I mean, it's just your basic Tau list. Uh, the basic strategy I had was um, I took a uh, Sacia Ethereal specifically so I could use the stratagem to highlight a, uh, a unit as well as uh, a couple units surrounding. And uh, at that point, I would use my characters uh, prior to using the Pathfinders to start dumping marker lights where they really need to be. And... Um, just used target prioritization, uh, the Riptides used, uh, stratagem support, and were able to just get the job done. Um, shield drones obviously protected characters and Riptides, and I used the Cold Stars pretty much to, uh, help snipe some pretty big threats, including a, uh, a, um, a shock attack gun from the Orcs, and it was a pretty solid idea, I thought. Believe it or not... My all-star unit was the uh, Cold Star Commander with the uh, missiles and the advanced targeting system. Um, for the most part, he really helped me clean up and, uh, you know, like late game, uh, grab objectives super quick from across the board and take care of units that were on objectives. Um, the missiles are ranged, they're strength 7, with advanced targeting system minus 2, and D3 damage. So, I mean, it was fantastic. It doesn't have the damage output of an enforcer with a cyclic ion blasters, but the mobility is uh, what I think made him the MVP for most games. Well, that sounds extremely exciting. It's almost like Brenton had fun playing Tau for once. You know, I'm, I'm glad when I see, you know, someone who is a uh, wielder of the greatest good actually enjoying themselves doing it. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, sad panda Tau players on this on the show, and it's a nice change of pace. I mean, I suppose you're right. I just, I find that anybody that really likes playing Tau um, doesn't like talking to other people about anything. <laughs> a little binary in their mindset, are they? No, pretty much. I mean, have you spoken to Devin Swan before? I have, and quite frankly... Uh, he's a very nice guy, and I think, like other people accused of being robots in this game, uh, has a lot to say. You just gotta, mm. you just gotta, you know, ask him. Anyway, this stone cold killer took the top table by nuking Michael Deleg and his uh, Castellan double crusader list in convincing fashion, thirty to nineteen. Brenton had this to share about his favorite moment from the tournament. My absolute favorite in-game moment was just more of a moral victory for me against the Eldar Flyers. Um, he uh, he had first turn, and he quickly moved the Flyers all up in my face, and he did a lot of damage. Um, I had to retaliate really well, and I was able to drop four Flyers, um, almost five, in one single turn. But the most important one was when my Fire Warriors and one unit of Pathfinders dumped all of their shots into one razor wing and uh 
seeing just my infantry remove it was a really nice moral victory. And, uh, um, dude was a solid opponent, so, uh, that game just kind of sticks out. But, yeah, I'd say the, uh, the infantry dropping the flyer was the best. Congrats, Brenton, you soulless bringer of sadness. May you and Richard someday hit puberty together. Also, shout out to official backup host Tony Pierce for stealing second with a bunch of random Imperial models he bought on eBay last week. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is Nick Nanavati from Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. And you're listening to 40K Stat Center. Lacking in actual news, it's time for us to tap dance and fill for time. That's right, folks. It's your Nova Invitational Bracket Showdown. This week, starting on Thursday, 16 of Mike Brandt's favorite sycophants will descend on the Hyatt in Crystal City, Virginia to engage in a little bit of 40K foreplay. Consider this event the grim, dark equivalent of picking a bad horror movie on Netflix because in the end, only two will be left, barely awake and fumbling over one another in the early morning on Saturday. Taking a left turn from standard invitational procedures, Mike has handpicked a roster of mostly good players eschewing the usual sacrificial podcaster and YouTuber picks of years past. This year features a veritable murderer's row of people who can't say no to a DM from Mr. Brandt. Round one! Top-ranked Tony, two-pack, co-pack, running guard, custodies versus bottom seed, Alexander Ings, Kranz. Algorithm says, co-pack. Alex Charity Case Fennel with his Craft World Eldar Drukari versus John Paula's Dead Lennon and Custodies? Ugh, whatever. Fennel wins this one. JVVD and his list versus Ben Tecumseh Sherman Sherwin running Ezurani Drukari is an absolute nail-biter, but the numbers say JVVD pulls it out in the end. Justin just happy to be nominated Curtis running CSM with some Thousand Sons and Death Guard versus Tyler Six Degrees of DeVries and Admech Custodes leaves DeVries in the breeze. Justin goes on to round two. Andrew Golden Handshake Ganyo with uh, Admech and Custodes versus Oh my goodness, Austin ain't no thing but a chicken wang wingfield the people's champion the old two-step ruiner and his bang bus chaos list absolutely crushes the old warlord and goes to the deuce bracket break out the skippy and butter the toast because here comes juice rocking gsc like a hurricane through kurt exit claws and right on to the second round what does 3.14 have to do with this bracket that's the third seed, Brown Magic, versus the 14th seed, Devin Warhound Swan, slamming pie in the face of Adepticon's finest and rolling through to the quarterfinals. And finally, we've got Matt the Shucker Shuckman versus Chris Give Him a Green Card Blackham, because this guy is a permanent resident alien who just crossed the border into the second round. Round two. Fight! In Fennel versus Kopak. It turns out Kopak is the charity case as Fennel takes his tax credit right into the semifinals. And in Midwest versus On Your Girlfriend's Chest, it looks like JVVD mops up JC. These guys might be bros, but it's die before a tie in this top rung affair as Juice puts the squeeze on Wingfield and moves on. Devin, the officially black swan, can't believe it's GSC again, and he bends a blackham like Beckham back to where he came from. Oh, semi-finals. Fight! 
It's JVVD versus Alex Fennel and Lake Jim at the back of a plane. This one's a squeaker as Jim sneaks one by again right into the finals. And it's Sleeky Shiny Robots versus Spiky Robots as Devin Swan takes flight and makes Wingfield his wingman. Oh, Canada, it's a great white north final. This is it, folks. Devin Swan, a man who they say has no soul, versus Jim Vessel, a man whose life goals include the bottom of the glass and catching that rascally dragon's tail. Who will win? It's JVVD, JVVD, JVVD. He takes it home. The title is coming back. Do a plea A because the swan is in the lake. We couldn't make this up, folks. Actually, we did. The Falcon would never use his stats for evil. Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. Holy Hannah, how are we going to relax, calm down, and just think about the cold hard numbers, Pete? That was a wild bracket. I don't know uh, what Rob did to get his heart back on set, but... um... I'm probably beating about 170 right now. Ooh, all right. Well, I know you're excited not just because of that awesome segment we just did, but also because we're finally talking about stats on StatCenter. If I had an air horn, I would use it now, but I won't because people complain when I do. Pete, is it true you told me that 40kstats.com, the venerable institution of competitive 40K, has turned a ripe old one years old recently? Well, according to my uh, Visa card, it 100% did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I started the the actual website. It would have been, uh, I believe, August 17th of 2018, uh, about three weeks after I started doing stats for uh, Pablo and the crew over at Chapter Tactics, you included. Well, that's very nice. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that he actually um, shared those original stats with us. Uh, because he just assumed you were yet another loony bin guy uh, offering stats on the internet. Oh, 100%. They, we, I guarantee you that's what he thought. But. And also, I mean, now that you are also uh, you know, a person who podcasts and people reach out to, you probably uh, are the same with all of your fans. Oh, yes. And not to mention the fact that he wasn't wrong. I am a loony bin guy that does stats on the internet for no good reason, really, when it's all said and done. And so, to be clear here, folks, uh, Pete, for the last year, has been... Um, incredibly consistently uh, writing down the round pairings and faction on faction statistics for all uh, 40k events that are usually 2000 points uh, and have all lists or 90% of lists actually available for him to look at, which means he's personally reading through parsing and categorizing all the games played at, at the GTA, GT level and above. How many games roughly have you gone through in the last year? Um, well, let's see, last, I'm looking at now, I've done 15,000 games since LVO, and I'd done about 12,000 prior to that, so about 27,000 unique games, um, which when you, because you have to input both sides of the equation to make the stats work, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're looking at about 54,000 entries. That is, um... Well, you're a crazy person, but also an awesome crazy person who I'm happy to co-host a show with and, uh, as some might say, um, uh, use you for all of your work. So that's, oh, Well, you know. thank you, Val. And I'm, I'm super okay with it. I just want the people to be educated and for whatever re- means they want, even if it is for evil. 
That's correct. Um, and uh, yeah, so why don't we kick things off there? What do you think? Now, I have a bunch of, I've got some questions I want to ask you about uh, the stats and some of the stuff that you've been cooking up to talk to us about today. Uh, but first question is, what do you think some of the best uses of 40kstats.com are for someone who's actually playing competitive 40k these days? Well, I think um, the biggest use for someone that's like on a competitive level is really more or less going to be what should they expect and at what tables? Um, because the breakdowns of you know your list representation, they all show up here. Um, if you are if you're willing to do the filtering work, you can even go by um, and look up uh, events by location. So you know I'm going to be in the UK. What do I expect there? Australia. What should I expect there? Um, you can see so you get a rough idea of what the field's probably going to be like, and not only that, but um, who's winning and with what in that field. Um, it's uh, that's kind of the granularity you get there. Um, and then the other thing from a competitive perspective is getting a feel for what's winning across the board. Um, for a long time, kind of prior to the our ability to you know see all of these results, um, you would basically have to wait for a major event to come out, see who the top eight were, um, if you weren't able to attend a lot of events at least, and kind of go by by that, or you know go in forums and uh, hope that the, the people that you were talking to on there had you know half an idea of what they were talking about, which was you know uh, about a thirty seventy that you were going to get that uh, that the, the the proper results. There was a lot of hearsay, a lot of conjecture, um, but now you can just go in and see it. Yeah, I remember first starting up 40k again and you don't know the difference between someone talking on daka daka and nick natavati or you know an established player uh who's, who's sharing their opinions or feedback so it's it's really hard to separate signal from noise and for uh, sure having the stats there to uh back up an opinion or validate an opinion is uh, pretty super awesome so since this is in large part inspired by uh the anniversary of your uh of your uh, website. Uh, I have a couple retro retrospective type questions for you. The first one being one that I've always wondered, uh, which is what are the hardest GTs and majors to win based on the quality of the field? Now, I don't know if you want to do that, like by, you know, the quality of the competition, maybe the concentration of, you know, high performing factions, however you might want to measure that, what would they be? Um, if you look at the West Coast, for example, they they tend to have more GTs and majors than the East Coast does, at least at this time of year. Um, so there's a bit of, of mental bias because I see certain names pretty consistently, um, whereas it's not to say that those East Coast players uh, aren't any better or worse. Um, that being said, I would say your hardest events, at least uh, so far this year, you're going to be looking at um, outside of uh, LVO, by the way, because LVO is just... It, there's a high concentration of people that'll go to that event. So, so stop let's right just... there. The the world is just immediate. Like so, you're you're just writing. You're just saying yeah, it is a given. LBO is the hardest field on the planet. I mean, outside of maybe a very um, some might call prestigious team event that may have just happened. Invitational. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how good the invitational is. You don't have to tell me. But I mean, like, why why do you say the LBO is so stacked? So, like for example, when I did my uh, statistics report last year on the LVO, um, I believe at the at the time, 87 of the top 100 ITC players showed up. And while the ITC rankings are not necessarily the be all end all for who is considered the you know who would be the best players in uh, in the world or in North America, um, it's a it's a pretty um, 
pretty well-defined group. So, and then if you did even go, go down to 200, it was like 162 of the top 200 players showed up. So the, at least a third of the, uh, of the, the field at LVO are big name players that have put up really good numbers at, at least five GTs or majors. Um, and I, and I kind of remember the stats, so I can bail you out if you don't, but do you remember what their record was against the field? Like the top was, 200 versus the field was what? It, I believe it was something like 79% win percentage against the rest of the field. So yeah, so when a, when a top 200 ranked player played just a, an unranked or a outside the top 200 ranked player, they won 80% of the time. So all of you jackasses, yeah, I'm calling you a jackass, I'm not even going to bleep it out, who say ITC rank means nothing. It doesn't mean nothing, it doesn't mean everything, but it certainly means you probably know how to play, to, play 40k. For sure, and... It's not to say that there would be a better way uh, out there to to manage that. We just don't have one yet. Um, and so ITC ranking kind of works the best. So from that, you can kind of, if, if you use LVO as the top standard, I mean, you would also have to look at Nova, Adepticon, those those super majors as we call them, because people will travel like from far and wide to attend these events, um, either for the experience or for the ITC points. Outside of those, um, BAO is an extremely stacked event. I would put that in my top five outside of Super Majors, even though it is kind of like on that verge. It's not there quite yet. Um, Slaughterfest this year was, uh, like an, like we've said earlier, like an absolute murderer's row for a major. Um, basically, the entire West Coast uh, of uh, 40K was there. And uh, that's that, there were some, a lot, a lot of big names. That's a hard one to win. Um, the Boise Cup, because it's kind of centralized in uh, North America, it gets a lot of heavy hitters. So that's another big one that I would say is uh, is uh, is very difficult. On the across the pond, the Alliance Open, which will be happening in a couple months here, um, it has most of the top players from Europe show up, and that's uh, that's big. Um, we don't often get them traveling, you know, over the waters for that, but um, I would definitely put it in the top five. And um, if we're talking about smaller, I'd like to input, uh, I would say the battle for LA was probably the most difficult GT level event that I saw in the last year. Um, they, there were just so many top end players. Once again, there's that West coast bias coming out. I'm not even from the West coast, but those are the names you see because they, they have so many events. Right. So. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, for that insight. Um, and now I'd like to just do a little year in retrospective. It's amazing how, fast 40k time goes like if you think if you think like uh you know two years ago we were playing index 40k you know yeah <laughs> um so it, it's just wild to me how fast sort of the life cycles of of rules and metas move and you know the way that you know chapter approved and the faqs happen you know there are th pretty much three certainly distinct metas uh, a year at least uh, and then there would be, on top of that, you know, major codex releases spicing up things in between those. Last year we had, uh, you know, post-fac, uh, the drop of uh, Imperial Knights and, um, and Drukhari. Uh, this year, right now, we're, we're going to be going through the, the Space Marine, you know, drops as they bleed, bleed out of GWHQ and also the, uh, the fall fact. So lots of natural places where things change up really significantly in the meta. And maybe we've forgotten some of our old oppressors, some of the old dominant lists in 40K. And I thought maybe I'd give you a chance to talk about what the most dominant lists of 8th edition have been thus far, 
and uh, maybe back it up with some uh, with some with some numbers about it. Sure. So I guess if we're going to start with the, the most kind of oppressive or successful lists, you have to start with the Knight Castellan list, uh, the quote unquote list, the Mitch Pelham list, as some people called it, um, that came out a couple weeks, maybe about, I would say, three weeks after um, the Imperial Knights Codex release is when we started seeing it. Um, it was it. I mean, it caused multiple facts. Um, it took a year before it was really finally settled. Um, and in that time, uh, at its peak, it was definitely the strongest list I've I've ever recorded stats on. Um, the specific list, the Mitch Pelham list that was um, uh, two Smash Captains, so Blood Angel Captains with Thunder Hammers and Storm Shields, three units of Scouts, a um, Astra Militarum Brigade uh, with the Forge World Hellhounds that have since been nerfed, and the Knight Castellan. Um, at its highest, I believe I recorded it at an 82% win rate. Wow. Um, and that is not, that's not counting the mirror. So it, it was potentially higher because um, I didn't clip the mirror matches out of that, out of that win rate. And there were going so, to be a lot. So there's a good chance that the only thing that beat that list was that list. It's, it, it, I wouldn't say it was the only thing, but it was very close. Yes, it was. A, it was a devastating list. Um, as people, I mean, you heard people talk about it in the past. There were some really great interviews. I believe when Andrew Gagno went with the list, um, he talked about the fact that it was essentially the first time he'd ever played it. He just knew he wa- he didn't have any time to practice prior to a major, and uh, brought this to it because he knew it was good. Yeah, that was and, Gagne, Was no Gagno went double at Nova in in Index 40k. Sorry. I, yeah, I he did. He did that, but he won a, a major later uh, using the, the quote-unquote list, and he said he had never played it before. He just like it played itself. Brandon Grant, I mean, of course, won uh, won uh, uh, SoCal Open as well as the LVO with that list. Yeah, modifications of it, right? Because Brandon didn't uh, bring the Blood Angel aspect. Sure. Um, essentially, because blood uh, the the FAQ that nerfed CP regeneration, which was like the first big problem with that list, since it essentially could generate infinite uh, CP, uh, that caused the Blood Angel aspect to be less useful for most people. Mm-hmm. So that's where you saw Brandon Grant come in. He dropped his Shadow Sword, which he'd been running uh, in kind of a pure Astro Militarum list earlier in that year. Um, to run the Castellan just because it was better. And yeah, like you said, he went all the way to LVO with that list. He won LVO. He won the SoCal Open. Um, it was the Castellan plus Guard plus something else, or just Castellan plus Guard, was a, it was a devastating list. The and change that... to CP regeneration did bring it down. It got down, and plus a couple stratagem changes. It was it was still in the 58 to 65% win rate, depending on the month and what had just been released. Um, so it, it stayed uh, very strong, too strong, for like almost a year. And I just want to shout out before we get too far away from it, um, but uh, I believe it's Tony Kopak at the ETC with the, uh, with the championship winning uh, American team in 2018 was running that list. Yes. The, uh, the Pelham list. So that was, that was sort of the coming out party for me. That was the first time I personally took, took notice of that list. Yeah, it's it was absolutely devastating. I remember when Mitch Pelham ran it. I believe it was at the BAO of last year. Um, he lost to Jeff in Control Robinson. Um, he t- said it was mainly because of misplays and and uh, and just being outplayed by Jeff. But other than that, he he didn't feel like anything needed to be changed. It was just a devastating list, and I mean, he was he was not wrong. Um, so many people picked that up. It's probably also the most. A copied list I've I've run into, and I I see a lot of copies. 
you see it now with the Jim Vessel's list, um, TJ Lanigan's list, where people will just, you know, uh, net list that and use it as their own. And there's nothing wrong with that, but um, you see it more like that was the, the list you saw everywhere. All the top players were running it at one point or another, unless they were running an Ari at the time. Do you have any and, idea uh, of how many um, tournaments that list won in the end? Uh, that I couldn't get you off the top of my head. I remember that I found 80, I believe it was 84 instances of essentially that exact list with maybe one to two models changed. Amazing. With an 84% win rate, that means that won a lot of fucking tournaments. I mean, that won a lot of tournaments. It won a lot of, it won a lot of games. <laughs> and probably, yes, won many, many tournaments or and some variation thereof. All right, so um, that's the Castellan list. What uh, And then RIP Castellan list, what do you think is the... I mean, obviously, they took a few whacks at it. Uh, I think it finally met its end uh, after the spring fact, uh, and maybe even a bit before that. Why do you think that is? What was the straw that broke that big old Castellan's back? Well, there were a couple things that were leading up to its uh, a death. Um, the release of the Orc Codex and Gene Stellar Cults Codex were codexes which were very strong and could really um, uh, take advantage of a horde meta really helped against that because they really didn't have any targets for the Castellan to to take out, right? Um, if you were playing Orcs, uh, you had to kill all those Grots before you got any add anything important with them. Gene Stealer Cults could just run a million Acolytes and wipe out all your, in, your infantry in the front if they had a, a good uh, turn. So that started, you started to see its win rate drop down. But I mean, the big kicker, of course, was the 100-point increase in the last, in the spring FAQ, plus the removal of the 3-plus potential invuln save. Those two things combined, um, Castlin went from a, a unit that you saw on almost, uh, I believe it was 22% of tables at one point. I had the Castlin at, just that model alone was at 22%, wow. um, to going down to, I believe now, <clears throat> excuse me, you see about 4%, wow. if that. Okay. And we know that knights make up about ten percent of the meta, so that's you know as less a primary than half of faction. List, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they still make up uh, just over twenty percent of lists have knights. Oh, wow. Um, so, it, but people just moved. They moved from the castle over to the knight crusader as their their new best friend. So. Okay, so I mean, the castellan list that feels almost like new music. Uh, what can we go a little bit deeper into the old uh, bag of tricks? Maybe one of the original evil factions of of 8th edition, perhaps won the first 8th edition LVO? Well, I mean, we, we you can't talk about broken uh, event, uh, lists or broken factions, I guess, without talking about Inari. Um, they consistently had the best everything um, for the first six months or so that I that I ran this uh, these reports. They had the best win percentage, the best allied win percentage, the best uh, VP-generated uh, victory points. Um, they had the the lowest average opposing VP, so you were you had a hard time scoring against them, and they scored more points than everybody. Um, just like everything about them was extremely strong. At one point, they their average first round loss was at uh, 2.98, um, and that was for that stayed that way for a couple months. So there's never been a so let's a, let, let's a faction an entire faction that was that close. Let let's slow this down. Let's slow this down for a second. So what Peter just said was. That on average, that means everyone playing Yanari, on average, the first loss that they would take in, in a tournament was in the third round. Yeah, which is, like, like I said, no one has come, 
I would say close to that in a long time. Um, we're getting there with custodies right now. They, they've been hovering around a 2.5 for the last couple of months. And we'll get into that a little later when we talk about, you know, where we're at right now. Um, but a 2.98 is, is really absurd. Like I can't. It's like Hall of Fame stuff. Yeah. There's, I don't think you'll ever see anything like that again. I hope not because, um, at that point in those first few months I was running these, uh, these stats, um, it was extremely oppressive and it, and it was everywhere. They did kind of slowly drop down over time, month to month, as as uh, new releases came out, as people got their codexes, particularly after Knights and Drukhari, um, you started to see a change. Because while while Inari played very well into Imperial Knights, um, and they could benefit from Drukhari, you were starting to see at least um, other codexes uh, being used, and and they were getting watered down. I mean, still right up until the end of uh, 2018. They had a 60% win rate, um, which like nobody, nobody has now. Nobody's even close uh, right now. Like currently, um, after that last FAQ, your your best faction sits at about a 54, 55%. One of the neat little nuggets that I uh, I saw in some of the stats that you prepared for the show was just how the field moved away from Unari. So in February, uh, there was six percent of the field was playing it, but then even by March, which is you know. 60 days from the actual drop of the uh, of the spring fac, it drops down to 4% and then down to 4.3% in April. Um, and uh, and then finally, obviously, the modern Unari is a qu- uh, quarter of a percent of the of the meta right now. So barely anyone playing any of the uh, modern Unari options. So that is the demise of, of Unari. So those yeah, are pro- it was it was murdered. Those were just. Those would be two of my, um, my like top of mind. If you know what were the soul crushers, I'm sure there's lots of little runner-up lists that we could talk about. But um, is is there another list uh, that you saw having you know um, game tilting dominance uh, that was in the same running as those lists? Well, there was nothing in in the same running as those ex, those explicit lists. I mean, Anari right up until about the release of uh, Gene Stealer Cults. And orcs was absolutely terrifying. What about orcs? What about something like flyers? Like is Eldar is Eldari flyers approach anything like those two lists? Um, to the uh, to this day, uh, yes, the Eldar flyer list has been around for forever. So that like we just it was always overshadowed, right? The Castlin existed, Inari existed, um, the kind of Drukari Eldari combo with Eldrad that you know you buffed all your Drukari to the infinite that existed for a while. Um, so people kind of have left that Eldar flyer thing to the side up until recently, but, um, it's been around and it's always had a very good win rate. Um, it kind of died briefly when they released that chapter approved, uh, that, uh, talked about, uh, you know, uh, sudden death and boots to the ground, boots on the ground, mm-hmm. because people were a little afraid about, uh, you know, that, that kind of instant loss. Um, but it didn't take long, uh, in the UK at least before people were like, whatever it does, like you're just not going to kill the stuff. Cause I'm just going to take really quick stuff that can hide well. And that like six, seven, eight uh, flyer list came back. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about where they are right now, but even back then when Inari was sitting in that 60 percentile, the Knights were in their 60, like the elder flyer list was still between about 58 and 65% win rate. Hmm. Um, pretty consistently. Is it still um, there now? Yeah. It's just no, it's just the, the number of people that were playing it and the fact that those two other 
bigger boogeyman existed, mm-hmm. um, that was the thing, right? Because there was very few people playing uh, a ton of flyers, um, really until LVO. LVO, there was a big spike. I believe I'd have to go back through a couple files. I recorded 16 or 17 players uh, running at least four, if not more Eldar flyers, and right. they had almost a 70% win rate at LVO. Okay, so uh, why don't we why don't we uh, wrap it up then? Any other any other dominant list builds, uh, you know, in the history of Eighth Edition so far? Really, I mean, I think we talked about it. I touched a little bit on that concept of uh, you know prophets of flesh and uh, Cabal the Blackheart with some kind of Eldar um, uh, psychic buff. That was a thing that, that did very well, um, 57 percent win rates generally. But that's on average. Um, Thousand Sons, um, before more and more factions came out as a primary faction, was very strong. Um, they were weird though with Thousand Sons in that they were they consistently had really good win rates, um, but didn't win anything until Matt Morisoli, um, in Australia started uh, pulling out his uh, his list, uh, which is very similar to the kind of Jim Vessel list of today. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of people, I mean, Matt himself has said that he created the Jim Vessel list. Hey, he's, he's not totally wrong. Um, he did play a lot of Zangors um, in his, but the concepts are still there. Um, yeah. So Thousand Sons, I remember talking to Pablo when I first started doing these stats and uh, they were talking all the time about everybody was talking about Drukhari and Ari, the Castellan. Yeah. And I, and I said multiple times, like, you got to put the, th- you got to put Thousand Sons in that list. Um, because they're just as devastating. It's just no one's figured out how to win yet. And now we're seeing it um, these days. Uh, it might be Chaos Demons as the primary, but it's the Thousand Suns part of that faction plus the Plague Bearers that are doing the heavy lifting, right? So, right. so I guess uh, the next next place I want to take to is kind of like the the now now. Uh, we're mm-hmm. we're coming into uh, Nova. You know, we, it's it's a really awesome event. Uh, but to me, it also is sort of the, uh, you know, it, it takes place on Labor Day and it's kind of the bon voyage to the the uh, the summer meta. We're going to move into the weird fall meta before chapter approved and after the fact and, you know, the least amount of tournaments it doesn't really exist. But anyway, um, what do you think, uh, you know, coming into the end of this of this really awesome meta that we've had for the last, say, two or three, well, I guess, three or four months? Um and coming into Nova, uh, you know, no no Space Marine Codex at Nova, so this really is the championships of the last four months. Yep. But um, what do you see as, you know, some of the most dominant list builds uh, right now and the most dominant units that really tilt the game right now that we might see out there at Nova? Sure. So uh, post-Spring FAQ, your top factions have been Imperial Knights running most of the time using a uh, usually three uh, House Crest or House Tyrannus Crusaders. Um, they have the best win rate uh, overall House of any. Tyrannus. Yes, that's more of a, a Europe thing. You don't see a lot in North America, but um, in the UK, they tend to use more Tyrannus instead for the the, the zombie option. Yeah. Uh, so you bring them back repeatedly. Um, usually, it's three Crusaders or two Crusaders and a Warden or Gallant with um, a. Grya Battalion and uh, Guard Battalion of it doesn't matter because it's just your Loyal 32 and your mm-hmm. Rusty 17, so you get a bunch of CP. Um, and then for the Tyrannus side, it's just about constantly bringing them back f- uh, from the dead and putting them on top shelf right away, blowing something up, um, and just getting more mileage out of them. Uh, North America side, it's way more house uh, everything house and just going for maximizing damage. Um, 
and like it works. The uh, Imperial Knights have a 54% win rate overall as a primary faction, and uh, that particular like triple crusader build or double crusader gallant or whatnot um, has about a 57, 58% win rate. So it's 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 not winning, it's not beating everybody, but it's definitely in that uh, that kind of quote unquote danger zone. Um, basically, for me, anything over about a 53% win rate, someone in particular, someone needs to take a look at because it's too strong. Right. Um, and so that's that's kind of like that low end of the the top end builds. And just before we move on from knights, I just want to talk about something that I found interesting about them, and I think it's probably a counter argument to people who might say knights are too strong is that they don't actually you know win tournaments a lot. Um, and I think that's something that's found in the record in in, in the numbers, uh, both their so their their uh, their representation in the field is very very large. Like you said, twenty percent of lists. Uh, 10% as primary uh, in that ballpark, uh, yet they um, are underperforming that level as far as getting to 4-0 and being in positions to win tournaments. Uh, do you think that actually pans out? Yeah, I think you're you're right. Uh, for as long as I've recorded Knights, Knights is a primary faction. Um, they've generally held to uh, having roughly the same list percentage as they've had T-Whip. Um, so they've made up you know, 11% of the lists, 10% of T-Whip or 10 and 9. They've always, generally their T-Whip's been within about a percentage point of, uh, of like how many people are actually playing them. Um, and just to and, slow it down a little bit for the audience. So we've shifted to this idea of T-Whip. So again, it's just the idea that, you know, only lists that actually go consecutive wins in a row, generally speaking in ITC, not battle point tournaments, but in win-loss tournaments, you got to go 4-0 to win. So we want to know what lists are actually getting a 4-0 so that they can go and win the 5th, 6th games to actually exactly. win the tournament. And that's where this T-Whip uh, statistic comes in, yeah. tournaments and winning position. And when, um, the, and when also just, and that pairs with field percentage. So if, if you know, Knights make up 10% of the field but are only, you know, 5% of the lists that, that achieve T-Whip, that means that they're actually underperforming and vice versa. Exactly. And if you look at kind of that T-Whip ratio from month to month, going back as far as LVO this last year, we don't have to go back too much further. Um, they've generally, uh, they'll either be at one, maybe sometimes they'll be at 1.3, sometimes they're at 0.7. So it generally evens out to about a one to one ratio if you look you know, over a, an extended period of time. Um, but that being said, you are correct. Uh, night predominant lists do not win a lot of 2000 point events. I believe the last one I have recorded, Andrew Gagno. Uh, won an event, uh, which was night primary, but he really his list was like a thousand and one points of knights, and I want to say it was something like nine hundred points of custodies. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it was very uh, in the middle there. Um, and nobody wins with pure knights. It just doesn't really function at two thousand. Yeah, even though I think I saw their their the a pure knight list win percentage was something like forty five percent just uh, on it. Yeah, average. as a mono faction, it does yeah. not perform very well. Uh, okay, so moving on from uh, the Knights, who else has, uh, you know, made themselves known in this meta this summer? So the, a big one post-FAQ um, has been Custodes. Uh, they've been absolutely tearing it up. Um, they're Should sitting I just at a go, like, wash my face, get a drink of water, and come back while you uh, wax poetic <laughs> about these Golden Boys? You know they're my faves. Um, I'll, I'll try my best to to keep it to keep it down, but um, they're sitting at right now uh, after the FAQ at an almost 54% win rate. And to put this in perspective, pre-FAQ, um, there was a point where they were at about a 41. 
Um, so that puts them as uh, somewhere in the, the bottom three around Grey Knights and Dark Angels for performance. So so they in... I was just sorry, this, I was just imagining a 40k dungeon with just like some like really pasty Grey Knights and Dark Angels just haven't seen daylight in like six months. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, well, yeah, three years-ish, maybe more. <laughs> maybe more. When, when did, when were uh, Grey Knights last good? Like 6th edition? Dark Angels, I don't know if they've been good ever. Yes. But, um, oh, I guess that's not true. They did have uh, Barkstar for a while. Anyway. They were a part. They were, they were a key element in uh, a few lists. <laughs> yeah. In 7th. In eighth edition, uh, neither neither has ever had a chance to really perform. Um, and but custodies, um, when they first came out, very strong. Um, the like eighteen bike list was terribly terrifying for a number of reasons and super fun to play. Not really. Um, and now then they had this large drop off because there's so many books came out that were just better. Uh, Orcs and Genestealer Cults and Drukhari, Eldar. It was just it was bad news for custodies for a bit. But with the death of the Castellan, um, just like with any kind of ecosystem, that's the metaphor I've used multiple times now, um, one predator goes a- away and then another predator kind of steps up. And that's been the Caladius grab tank. So like I said, custodies right now, they're sitting at a 53.73% win rate. Um, as a mono faction, they're even at a 49.59, which is not terrible for mono faction. Generally, mono faction performs very poorly. Super respectable. The- the Caladius, though, is all of that. <laughs> so I dug pretty deep um, for a number of uh, different reasons here for, you know, your top list performers, not just because some people don't think I do this. But um, so Triple Caladius, um, since the spring FAQ, there have been 538 games played with somebody running either two Caladius and a Telemann or Triple Caladius. And I want to say Triple Caladius is actually much better than the trip Double Caladius Telemann. I just included it here for uh, posterity reasons. It's a very similarly played list. It has a 65.6% win rate. Okay. So in the pantheon um, of win rates, where where are we sitting here? Is, we're not quite in... In in the are are we are we getting to the lists that we were talking about there? Is that getting to be a Castellan oh, yeah. this list is territory? Like I mean, Castellan was ridiculous. This is like just below. This is kind of a Anari rates when Anari were busted and everybody hated them. Um so yeah, so triple Caladius, sixty five point six. Um and a lot of people talk about how this is really only a problem in soup. Uh, or multi-faction Imperium lists where you can take, you know, a, a Crusader, a bunch of Guard and whatnot and fill it out that way. Um, it's not necessarily true. I looked at Mono Custodes lists that ran a Triple Caladius, still at a 61.6% win rate. Yowza. Um, to put that in perspective, Custodes lists that do not run Triple Caladius, 39.46. Wow. Yeah. So and if, so Eric if Trock they, really was... Uh, an, an outperformer there, even if he, oh, even by if, far. even if he didn't get spotted those, those boxes, <laughs> he would have no. been five and one and still blown that out of the water. So Eric Trock, um, has almost, I believe always run foot custodies and he, he went, uh, you know, six and oh at CCBB. And I believe the previous event he'd been at, he went, I want to say four and one. So, you know, 10 and one, um, he makes up like he's the reason why this isn't uh, like a 36 or 35 percent win rate for uh, non Caladius uh, custodies. Amazing. Um, so when did the Caladius come on the scene? When did that actually appear? So the Caladius was released in the Forge World beta FA uh, Forge World beta rules for custodies back in I want to say January. Um, 
Oh no, it was later than that. Hmm. I think it was at the LVO. I think the, those those the beta rules were available for LVO. Yes, no, you are right. Yes, they were available in the at LVO. Um, the problem was was that the Castellan picked them up. You saw them on stream, I believe, at um, I want to say that year at I want to say at, at LVO they were on stream. Uh, there was even a game Castellan versus the Caladius, and you just watched. Uh, and the guy was running three, and the Castellan just picked up two of them turn one. Um, so that was just like there was no even with a five up invuln the, the fly it didn't matter because the castling could shoot you anywhere on the board, um, so it it really couldn't perform until the castling died until that you know one quarter of the tables out there didn't have this thing that just picked up two of them a turn. Um, now that that's gone, it's much easier to keep it alive. You also saw nerfs to um, the uh, ludas being able to be mobbed up from orcs, which was another predator that uh, they didn't much uh, like to deal with. Um, there's a lot of play here. Um, that kind of made Caladius that much better. And even still, um, the the like the best big thing that could happen to them was uh, the BAO win by Jeff Robinson, because that's when everybody decided to buy one. Um, prior to that, they had seen some really good play in the UK. Um, Team Draco, which is one of the top uh, UK teams, um, they had three or four people running triple Caladius lists for a couple months going into that, and they were all either winning or top fouring all of these events that they were showing up at with a triple Caladius, uh, like leaf blower list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but Jeff's win at BAO, Jeff wasn't the only one, by the way, at, at BAO that ran them. Uh, Bridger Hahn also went, uh, I believe he went five and one with them. There were two or three other players there. I believe there were 14 Caladius at BAO. Um, and there were only 11 custodies players. So th- they definitely showed up. All, they'd al- already showed up at that point. Um, but that, this really made it blow up. So May goes into June, um, and then July is when China finally managed to get all their casting shit together. Maybe and, Nottingham as well. I mean, yeah. maybe. I mean, yes, they were sold out on the GW website for like three months right after BAO. Um, but now you're seeing, if you look at the month-to-month stats that I sent you, uh, custodies are sitting at an average uh, first loss, first round loss of 2.5, <laughs> which is higher than everybody. Uh, by by a decent margin, like it's uh, the the next best I believe is Gene Stither cults at about a two point three. Yeah, and and everybody knows they're a very strong faction. Um, their T whip ratio is a straight up two. They're double what they what their uh, list percentage is, so, and their list percentage has gone up about two percent as well as uh, over time as people have started to bring them. They're now about seven percent of the meta. Yeah. Uh, when they, for a long time, hovered about four. And in August, straight T-Whip for uh, Custodes uh, so far is damn near 14%. Yeah, they're they're number one uh, so far this month. Um, and that's with, uh, you know, three weeks of data in there. It's st- Even those three weeks, because uh, 40K is so ridiculous right now, it's about 17 events. Yeah. Um, so they're not they're not pulling any punches. The Caladius Graph Tank it really does probably need to. I'm not a I'm not a balance expert by any means, but it probably needs to go up thirty or forty points. So some people are saying like eighty or ninety. I think that's a, an exaggeration, but it does need a, a point increase for sure. Fair enough. Okay, so we've uh, beaten the Caladius to death. Turns out they're good. What else is really good out there? Um, may I throw an idea out there? Sure. Um, so I mean, we were talking. I mean. Obviously, we have not yet entered the town Armeta, which uh, I may or may not begin uh, this weekend. Um, but Tau, I, I find kind of interesting because their uh, the you know their field percentage has stayed pretty consistent. It's sort of been been between 
Um, you know, I guess the lowest it's been was May, six and a half percent of the field. And the highest it's been is, um, you know, almost 8% in August. So Tau has really sort of been in that 7 to 8% range uh, for since February. Uh, yet, you know, we've seen massive swings in their effectiveness uh, actually on the tabletop. You know, in, um, in April, we saw them hit 11.3 uh, on T-WIP. Um, in June, we saw them hit 15.7. Uh, and then July and August, 8 and 9.3%. Um, so, like, Tau outperforming their representation in the field by a good margin. And also, I mean, as you know, just listening to this show and others, um, winning a ton. So what's the deal with Tau? So there's a lot going on with Tau that's making them, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say overperform. They've been, they've been very good for a long time. They've had one extraordinarily bad matchup. Um, they used to have two. Um, the Castellan wasn't a, a terribly good matchup for Tau, um, which, as we said a number of times, they could deal with it, but it was hard. Uh, but Eldar Flyers and Eldar in general were a, an awful, awful matchup for Tau. So, yeah, awful, awful matchup for Tau. Um, Eldar, Inari were terrible, and Inari going away was huge for them because they had about a 25, 26% win rate. I believe the highest they ever got against Inari was about a 33%. So that um, spring FAQ and the White Dwarf that killed Inari, um, those were two really big boons uh, for the Tau Empire. And you saw it immediately. Like June, like you said, they had a, a T-Whip ratio of just over two, which is extremely good. Um, you saw – and the other thing you saw was with the rise of Eldar Flyers becoming a big scare was Tau lists change. Um, so you saw like people like Brian Pullman, Richard Siegler – um, and others uh, modify their lists to uh, to deal with flyers a little bit better on the off chance they win against them because to them in most cases that was an auto lose matchup. Right. Um. There's also been a few other things that have helped uh, on the sly. Um. The rise of Necrons has been really big for Tau since Tau can generally just pick up that Necron list like nobody's business. So the fact that Necrons have started performing better means that there's a better chance you see them at the top tables and how win that matchup almost every time interesting so on the flip side let's go to another army that i play uh orcs um <laughs> they seem to be i i i kind of relate to this as a player uh, i feel like there is orc fatigue going on in the meta uh again unlike tau they've had um sort of an early peak in the year uh, i think it looks like in march was the highest percentage of the field this is unbelievable 8.34 percent of people were playing orcs I, I can't believe that's possible. Um, but at any rate, it's true. And like now, um, that sort of just continuously bled off until July and August. We've seen 5.78. And in August, only 4.78 of the field is running orcs. So orcs really tapering off. So what has both led to their success? Because let's have a look here, too, at T-Whip. Um, you know, in, in July and August, still, um, you know, performing... Uh, above their field percentage, 6% in July versus, uh, uh, you know, 5.78% uh, of the field, 6.98% T-WIP uh, for Orcs uh, in August and only 4.78%. So their ratio there actually got better. Um, yep. You know, what's going on with Orcs? Why are people A, not playing them anymore? And uh, yeah, what's going on? Orcs are in an... Orcs have always been kind of interesting to me. Um, I've had a lot of fascination with the kind of orc player base and meta for a long time. Um, they, orcs are a faction that really quickly 
um, changes on like the, their lists and, and their list list archetypes. They modify very quick. It's almost as if there's a group of orc players that are together and talking out strategy pretty consistently. No idea what you're talking um, about. Because um, it's very easy for me when I'm looking at uh, like the known commodities in the orc community to see their lists like seemingly all change in like a wave overnight. Um, so whenever something new or big comes, they all hit it. I think the big problem with orcs right now, and it's not a, a competitiveness problem, obviously they're still winning events. They're still top fouring all the time. There's frequent, um, undefeateds for orcs. I believe an orc went undefeated at EastCon actually, yeah, and, uh, but didn't win the event. And um, I'll also but, say th- their average first round loss, their, their average first loss is still in the second round. Yes, I mean in August they're sitting at a two point three, but uh, they've constantly been at about a two, or a little bit higher than two, which is what I cons- consider at like a healthy uh, statistic for that first round loss stat. Anything around two, you're generally good. The higher it gets, obviously, the crazier you are. Um, if you're Dark Angels, you know you'll you may get lucky and see a one. Regardless. Um, the big you thing, don't lose in the parking lot? Yeah, you, lose, you might have. You, you lost in the list building phase, as they say. Um, but um, the thing with orcs, I think, right now is after the nerf to mob up, um, a lot of orc players kind of lost their uh, grasp on what's a good list to play that's competitive but still fun. Um, and so now what you've seen is basically two list archetypes be created for orcs, and that's almost it. Um, there's the Death Skulls with the Dreadwog, plus a Bad Moons detachment for your Ludas or Tank Busters, and a, an Evil Sense detachment with a bunch of boys. Um, or there's the kind of Ben Jurek style um, Flash Gits and Freebooters list with maybe a Gorkonaut or uh, or Flyers and whatnot. Those, and that's it. Like I don't see much of anything um, other than those two lists. Um, and I can... When I see Freebooters or when I see uh, Death Skulls or Bad Moons as the the primary faction for an Orc player, I can almost write out their entire list now um, without even opening up the list in BCP to take a look um, because it's become such a like a cookie-cutter scenario for them. All right, so one thing that um, I think has been pretty obvious since Vigilus dropped for Orcs is the importance of the Relic Shock attack gun. But how important is it? Like, is is that is that really the unit that orcs have? Uh, yeah. So looking at the the relic sag uh, option, about seventy percent of orc lists run the relic sag, and it makes a huge difference on their numbers. Um, looking at uh, orc orcs as a faction since the vigilist book came out that run dreadwog, they sit at about a fifty three point five percent win rate. Um, without Dreadwog, they, they hover between a 49 and a 50. Um, so the, there's a 3% impact just from having Dreadwog. If you go even deeper, um, Death Skulls has kind of been the new way to, to Dreadwog a- after the mob-up changes. Um, and the Death Skulls with, Dre- Dead, uh, with Dreadwog sit at a 57% win rate. So if you run Death Skulls and the Relic uh, Shock Attack Gun under them, um, you're drastically improving your win rates um, as orcs because without uh, without Dreadwog, without them as Death Skulls, um, in a spring FAQ world, you're looking at about a 47.5% uh, win rate That's as orcs. Because awesome. that is actually something that uh, sparks argument all the time is, uh, you know, running them as bad moons or running them as, uh, I've even seen them as free Buddhas. Yeah, man, you got to get that. You got to get your sag into a, into a Death Skull detachment. Yeah. And he's OPSEC too. That's Post FAQ. Yeah, 
post FAQ, it's 57%. 49% of you run a Dreadwog as anything that isn't Death Skulls. So if you want to, it, it looks like, uh, from a numbers perspective at least, you want to run them as Death Skulls. Um, as the as the better option. All right, cool. So, so let's uh, let's bring it on home. What do you think is uh, you know the most dominant uh, list archetype uh, coming into Nova? What's what's the winner of the summer meta? From a pure numbers perspective, I'd have to say it is Eldar Flyer spam. They've sat between a sixty-five and a sixty-six percent win rate for quite a while. Um, they're still winning events. They won two GTs, a GT and a major, in the last month. Um, they also had a couple top table finishes as well. So it's still a, an overperforming list. Um, you can't count out Lord Discordance. If you look at Chaos Space Marine lists, um, Flawless Host Lord Discordance have about a 58% win rate. They used to be in the mid-60s, but people have kind of figured them out. And there's a lot more people playing them. So you're starting to see more kind of bottom-rung players uh, uh, take them and go two and four, two and three. Um the Purge is still excellent, sitting at about a 57% win rate um, with Lord Discordance at the helm. So, it, I mean, Elder Flyers are the top, but the Caladius is probably second. And then third, you're looking at some kind of uh, Lord Discordant mix or, you know, the triple Imperial Knights. It sure sounds, though, that there are things nipping at the heels of those lists. Like, instead of there just being one or two big dogs, there seems to be, you know, those guys maybe at that 65-plus 60, range... But, I mean, you were saying orcs, you know, in the high 50s, you know, even even crons yep. with certain builds are, are getting higher up. It seems like there is the opportunity for, for other lists to win outside of those those big hitters. Exactly. And, I mean, your top player in, the, in your two top players in ITC run essentially Chaos Demon primary lists. And they sit in the high 50, in the like mid 50s. You can never count them out as a strategic list to play. Um, and Gene Stealer Cults. Gene Stealer Cults are a very unforgiving uh, army to play, but they still have an extremely high win percentage um, with that, with with having a lot of guys that go, you know, 0 and 5, 0 and 6, 1 and 4, etc. Um, just because their li- their army is such a paper bag that if they make a wrong move or a wrong or they uh, pile in in the in an incorrect manner. Half their army gets so that's out. actually a really interesting point. Maybe this is an awesome place to 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 end it too. This might be the the final topic that we touch. Um, just when you're looking at um, you know performance, and we're talking a lot of basically about archetypes, and and that's divorced from the actual pilot. And you you know I think one great thing about this show is really been about um you know letting people hear from the actual people running these lists you know that's not and and you also notice we haven't been hearing from uh you know different people every time it's a lot of the same people actually have made multiple appearances on this show um so where in the stats do you do you actually get to see that where can you actually spot maybe some differences uh between list and skill you really have to dig deep, I find, um, to, to if you want to look at those numbers. So one thing that I tend to do when I see a person that's overperforming um, compared to their, their normal meta and they have enough uh, results that I can kind of tabulate that and see what their impact is, I'll do that. So I'll grab, um, as an example, Jim Vessel, who we just mentioned, I'll grab all of his performances with his list and then I'll compare them to everybody else running – either his primary faction or, if I can, both his primary faction and just his exact list. Um, Jim's a popular enough guy now, um, and his list has become... Oh, his, li- his list is popular. Um, 
his list is everywhere and he talks about his list a lot. So uh, so you get to hear the strategy. Well, it helps that every podcast in the world wants to hear (laughs) the strategy behind his list. Right. So, I mean, I I think at this point he has been on every 40 K podcast and and talked about how his list works and gone into really good. And he's really good at describing the strategy behind it, et cetera. Um, So one thing I did uh, for this particular podcast was I grabbed Jim's results so for the folks at home, Jim, since LVO, since he switched his list to like this current version of it, which with minor changes every month or two, um, he's 64 and six in uh, major and GT play. So he's got a 91.4% win rate. Um, if you compare that to standard old chaos demons uh, as a primary faction, they're sitting at a 54 post FAQ or sorry, since I recorded this data. So it just been post LVO is what I meant to say. Um, he actually has an almost two and a half percent impact on the overall chaos demon like win rate without talking about just his list alone. Just like anybody that wants to run primary chaos demons, um, if you're looking at that number and you think, well, 54 is really good, you're actually like a 51 and a half. It's just Jim is is pushing your numbers. And that's not even taking into account TJ Lanigan, who has a very similar record, um, probably bumping you up another two percentage points. Um, with his primary chaos list that's very similar so if to you took if you took both you know the tj lanigan you took jim vessel and you compared them to the say field of you know copycats netlisters folks who are like hey that works i'm gonna use that and by the way i am way behind anyone who does that what what is the what is the drop off in performance between that and and just people picking up that list and trying to make it work so if you look at people that have run Jim's essentially exact list, either from BAO or from any other event, um, they sit at, without Jim, about a 48% losing Losing right uh, record with that list. Yes, they lose they lose more than they win um, with that list. And that's post-LVO. I essentially used exactly from uh, the Barry Bash, which was the first event I took from Jim and from TJ and, and pushed forward. Um, so without uh, without putting Jim in that equation or TJ, they said about a forty eight percent. That's amazing. Hey, is there is there one standout in all of that? There's is there one other person running running this list to any good effect? There there's a number of people that have run the list uh, well. Um, I wouldn't I don't know if anyone has won with it. Um, our very own Tony Pierce ran TJ's list a, a couple of times, and I believe he went. I want to say he went five and one at an event very recently with it. Um, might've been four and one. I don't think he went undefeated. So, um, but there are people that can win with it. It's, I mean, it's a great list, but it's, it, it kind of shows the skill, uh, that a player requires to play it at that high level. Um, another example I like uh, is if you look at, um, Austin Wingfield and uh, Jeff Robinson's chaos stroganoff mm-hmm. list that, I mean, they, I believe between the two of them, they had two losses with that list in competitive play. Um, I've seen other people try it and uh, get nowhere near the results. Um, 40, 45% win rate uh, for the most part. There are people that have managed to pull it off, but um, on average, not so much because it's a, it's a combo list. It's a list that requires a lot of thinking. And if you don't, if you don't hit all your combos, even with the devastating Lord Discordance and the Mortarian in front of you, um, you can, you still just lose. So you have to know how to play these lists. Um, Nick, Nanavati is another one with his Muscle Beach list that's uh, kind of become synonymous with him. He's 15 and one with that list in three events. So he's lost only one game 
and I believe he lost that one game by one point to Jim Vessel. So it's not like uh, it was uh, it was mm-hmm. a blowout. If you look at other people that have run the Muscle Beach list, um, Muscle Beach in itself with Jim stats in it. And for anybody that uh, that's listening at home, Muscle Beach would be a Gene Stiller cults list that's based primarily around um, usually two to three squads of of aberrants with the anointed throngs uh, detachment and uh, either an abominant or a series of characters that are essentially meant to buff those aberrants um, so that they can muscle out their opponents just through the like sheer power of those units. Um, so that list is at about a 56% win rate. Um, Gene Steeler Cults in general don't really have too many bad mm. builds, so it's not surprising that they're not like at a 70% or something. Um, but when you remove Jim from that equation, yeah. sorry, when you remove Nick from that equation, um, they drop to about a 51%. Um, so, you know, he he's 5% of that that particular win rate is uh, just him uh, with those uh, with those three performances. Um, and he technically has a fourth that he did very well at at ATC as well. I, I just, I'm not going to count it because team tournaments kind of skew those results. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you see it constantly with uh, with players um, that have a high skill level and then you check out the copycats. Um, Jeff was another one that people copied quite frequently and you very rarely saw anywhere near the results um, that he had uh, when he played lists. Don Hoosen is another perfect example. Um, generally when Don brings one of his kind of wacky, you know, seven model lists, you'll see a ton of people try to copy it and maybe one or two kind of gets the idea. Um, and then the rest just fall on their face and you see, I see a lot of, um, for example, his BAO list, I saw a lot of people going like one and four, one and five with Don Hoosen's, not this last year's BAO list, but the one previous when he had the Mm -hmm. Renegade Knights. Um, even this last one, I see a ton oh, of people yeah. still trying to make it work. When he won, when he won uh, BAO with that yeah. weirdo list. With the Blightlord Terminator. That was the, the first uh... appearance of the Blightlord Terminator. Yeah, and then they showed up, uh, I wouldn't say everywhere, but they showed up quite consistently with nowhere Except near the results. Except for one TJ um, Lanigan. Well, now TJ Lanigan, and uh, we're seeing a couple other people bringing them out. Um, but yeah, like the it there's a definitive you can see in the numbers where the skill ha- plays such an important part and just getting your reps in. I mean, Jim sa- has said himself he's played hundreds and hundreds of games with this exact mm-hmm. list, um, and that that makes up so much being able to know what to do in every given scenario, right? Absolutely. So. And I think uh, we're gonna leave it at that and just hit a quick little bump here. I really got to shuffle the deck on our tournament bumps. Uh, I feel like TPM is getting a lot of publicity on us. Yeah, not going to lie. Uh, we use that one a lot. And there's a few that somehow uh, we've missed the bus on. I think Mob Rules sent us a really Mob awesome Rules? one we've never heard before. Yeah, you know that podcast in Alaska? They talk about uh, Fort yes, Loco and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I actually I, I came back to them. I was, I was alienated from them for a long time. And then someone said, we're better now. And then I started listening, and I like them. So I should find that. Yes, you should. <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter, thank you for that tour de stats. I think that was actually a really, really great chat, and um, I hope the people liked it. So we put a little bit of stats in your stat center this week. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and really enlightening. I really enjoy the fact that we can actually talk about concrete things um, and win percentages, and we can demonstrate that, you know, this game is not only really effing hard, but that some people are particularly good at it, and it's great to be able to give them the credit they deserve. 
Yeah, I know it's a big deal. I'm I'm just really glad that these numbers mean something. Um, I put a lot of effort into them sometimes. Sometimes I don't. No, no that's, that's not true. Certainly not true. Um, <laughs> and and I only mentioned how bad Dark Angels were like what four yeah. times. Five? Hey, you know uh, they're getting an update to their fluff in the White Dwarf coming up. I Are heard. I read. Uh, I read read somewhere that um, Warhammer community was like, yeah, it's just a. It's like that Necron thing. Remember when the Necrons got got previewed a few little? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got the preview and it was just like a, yeah, a story. Yeah, yeah I think okay. That's what's up. Super, because yeah. Dark Angels are a thirty four percent win rate. I didn't talk about the exacts there. That's the lowest I've I've seen since Grey Knights were yeah. bad, and they're oh, still bad. Poor Grey Knights. But the Dark Angels are in a really. Well, we bad got spot. that Psychic Awakening coming, and uh, yeah, maybe that maybe yeah, maybe it's hey, definitely going to be maybe, for them. Maybe something good for for those guys. Um, shout. As long as it's not endless spells. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, shout out uh, Tony Pierce for helping us gather our, our few interviews and uh, shout at uh, the Down Under Network guys. Um, let's uh, get a few more from uh, Briscoe. Yeah. And thanks a lot anyway for everything no, you guys no, do. And it no, wasn't Briscoe. No, no. If it's East Whatever. Con. <laughs> Whatever. They're all cons. It's all a bunch there. of cons. They're, they are. They're a bunch of cons. Oh. I see what you, you like did there it? and I like it. Um, all right, so I think we're clear, clearly petering out. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.